the military makes great commanders. But once you take that authority away from them, on average, what I witnessed was they were not leaders, right? Because nobody would willingly follow them. Uh, yeah. Once you took away those those sticks that they could employ to inspire followership. Hello, everybody. This is Anthony for a new episode of Your Brother's Podcast. Today, my guest is Mr. Kale Hauser. Kale is a small business leadership coach, and we recently met through the 10X community. I really like his attitude, his personality. I think we have a great connection. I had the privilege to be on his show a couple uh, last week, actually, and now I'm giving this chance back to him to learn more about his story, his experience, and how he conquered life himself. Kale, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for um, inviting me, really. Uh, and I was just thinking, too, back to our episode and, and how much fun we had and got to really kind of learn about each other and, and learn about you and what you've got going with your brother podcast and really just... I'm fascinated by the idea, and I think it's something that's absolutely timely and, and absolutely needed in the world at large to kind of learn from each other and, and find those um, different modes of, of encouragement from each other. So thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to awesome. it all week, actually. I've got a little yeah, tingles awesome. going. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like volume two. Yeah, I had volume one last right, week, and now right. we just give back. So, Kale, let's start with going back. Um, I, well, let's... Maybe two parts. First thing, sure. let's go back to teenage years or maybe early 20s. Did you already have an interest for leadership at the time or it came later into your life? Yeah, not at all. I, I was your typical, um, didn't know what he wanted to do, kind of just, you know, living by the moment, teenager, young man. Uh, one thing that was a little bit unique about my story is I got married when I was 18 years old. Um, mm -hmm. My wife and I met in high school in band class. How how incredibly cool <laughs> is that, right? Yeah, um, awesome. <laughs> and we got engaged the night I graduated high school and then married a year later, which was technically a month um, before I turned 19. So I was still a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, at that point, you know, the, the whole life kind of shifted and, you know, then you become a, a family man. We didn't have kids or anything at, at that time. I wouldn't have kids until, until much later, like 10 years later in our life, which was cool. Um, but yeah, it was never on my radar. It was never something I thought about. It was never something I aspired to at all. I was, you know, I came from a very solid um, middle-class family. Uh, my father was a, a state trooper uh, up in Washington state. And um, my mom, you know, worked clerical type work and in, in human resources. And it was never, you know, even going to college was kind of just an afterthought. It was, you know, I, I graduated high school in 1995. So during that time, it was very much, you know, hey, that's what you do. You went to college and, you know, find a job. Mm -hmm. But even then, I'm yeah. like, I don't even I don't even know what I want to go to college for or anything. I didn't I really didn't have anything other than, you know, as with most probably teenage and, and young men, like I was interested in my wife. That's <laughs> that was kind yeah. of my world and, and what I wanted to time. just do. Yeah. So, nope, never, never had that kind of aspirations or anything at all. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So just. And you know, like, I can relate for the love relationship part because for me, right. like four years ago when I met my wife, my, uh, which was not my wife at the time, right? I had this desire to just build a life with her even more than any other goals. So I think for a young man, it's quite maybe frequent. If you right. seek monogamy and you want a long-term right. relationship, this can become very well, time-consuming in a good way. So you want to build a foundation to be able to have a great life together. So. That's part of, I think, a life mission. And when, right. once that is settled, then 
everything else that you may, oh, I'm curious about this. Let's go explore that. And then it can, it can blossom in a better way. Yeah. Right. And I think it's so interesting that you say that too, because it, it shifts our focus and, and not necessarily in a bad way. Cause yeah, you want to be focused on, you know, your new life, especially if you're getting married and, and going that route, but it closes you off to other things and other potentials because you are so focused like, Oh, you know, my, my new spouse is my world. And that's all you're dealing about. And kind of even jobs and, and careers are, are a little bit afterthoughts, especially if you don't go into that relationship with that. And I certainly never, had those mentors or even exposure to these other worlds. Cause even my, mm -hmm. my wife's father, my father-in-law, you know, worked in the federal government as a border patrol uh, officer. So, you know, we, we both came from very middle-class uh, families yeah. and that mindset. Uh, and now, you know, fast forward 25 years later, uh, it's, it's one of those, I, I don't regret by any stretch, but I'm like, man, I sure missed out on a lot by not, purposely exposing myself to other people, other, other opportunities and, and really mm -hmm. mentors at that point. Cause I, I essentially didn't have any external mentors outside of, you know, my own family. So do you think that the people around you, so if you, if you're raising a average mentality, how hard it is to just break out of the mold. If you if your parents are the same, if your siblings are like this and your friends maybe are just drinking beer and going to the club or whatever, like, how can you break this? I know maybe you, you see this in hindsight now because you, right. you could not do it at a time, but if you could do it again, what would make you, what you would change to make it like, Hmm, I can meet new people. And, uh, this was before social media. So exactly. Give me your, yeah. your thoughts on that. Well, that's so it's really interesting because as with anything, and even you can attest to this in your own life to, to, cause change and really any change whatsoever, whether negative change, you know, to get worse or to get better, it, it takes some sort of action, not action. It takes some sort of like trigger, right? It takes some sort of either extreme pain to move you into a new direction yeah. or an extreme pleasure, right? An extreme desire to move you towards that. And the advantage that people have today is the social media is YouTube, right? You can go on and watch a thousand videos about different, you know, motivational speakers and, you know, billion, like literally billionaires, you know, we're part of this 10 X yeah. community. You can watch Grant Cardone and, and watch his journey and what he's doing and his mindset and learn from that. And yeah, in the, in the nineties, we didn't have that. There, there was <laughs> no, I couldn't sit on my phone and, you know, do anything of that nature and, and listen to these influences from across the world or across the country. I only had what was in my library at my high school and whatever that librarian happened to order for books. And then that was it. And my dad, you know, and, and my, and my immediate family. Um, so without that, you're right. It's, it's extremely difficult to get out of that mentality. Cause I didn't have any of those things. I, I didn't have those big draws of, you know, Hey, my uncle's aunt's cousins is this, you know, real estate mm -hmm. mogul over here. And I want to go do that. Um, yeah. I didn't have that. And, but on the same side, I didn't have the, you know, my, my father was an alcoholic and abused me or anything like that. I didn't have that extreme negatives to push me, yeah. you know, further. It was, we were just the kind of a normal, average day, middle-class family, you know, we paid yeah. our bills. We, we went to work and went to school and that's about the extent of it. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's interesting because like I would, even for me and my family, I would say, so higher middle, middle class, but right. no extremes of like, I was the addict, but my parents were super clean, not drinking, not doing anything right. like my, my siblings the same. So I think it's interesting how everybody's just maybe 
part of their of their family in a very unique way. It doesn't matter if you're poor, middle class, or rich. Right. Anything can happen according to many factors. So there, there's so much things that you don't know. But of course, if you expose yourself to a higher maybe mentality or a success stories, if you're younger, I think it's easier to be like a sponge and right. then grow from that environment. But maybe you had you know, on your side, you had a bit later in life. So yeah. how long ago did you decide to actively invest in yourself, seek out mentors, buy courses, seminars? become uh, a trained in whatever you're doing right now. Right. Yeah. So not long ago, um, it was kind of the decision was almost made for me a little bit with the, you know, this whole um, COVID insanity and the pandemic and stuff as far as pushing me into. And again, that was a thing that that pushed me because at the time I was very comfortable. I was doing very well for myself um, financially and, and with a job that I enjoyed. I didn't absolutely love and I knew it wasn't going to be long term. And we can get what into that a little bit. Yeah. So I guess we could do kind of a, can... a short little timeline. Um, yeah. So I joined the Air Force late in life. I, same thing, right? My wife and I were married. I tried college, uh, but it was too expensive for both of us to go to college. So she was further ahead and we got her through and just kind of worked and floated around different things. Um, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I want to be an airline pilot. This is what I want to do. So we actually mm -hmm. uprooted, moved to New Mexico uh, to go to this flight school that Mesa Airlines was putting on. And this was, again, kind of failure to plan is planning to fail the after the 9-11, right, with all the insanity that was happening after that with the airline industry. Certainly, they were still having the massive pilots um, layoffs and furloughs. Mm. And I'm looking at I, I went through my first semester of, of flight school with them and I'm looking at it and they're still like laying off. And I'm going, man, I'm going to it's going to cost me another fifty thousand dollars. And this was in like early 2000s, 2001 or so. Yeah. Uh, it's going to cost me like another $50,000 to finish this program just to apply to the airlines. And that's crazy. like, I'm not going to get picked up because guys with 3000 hours aren't getting hired on. Right. They're not going to hire oh, this man. new guy that has like a hundred hours. <laughs> so we quit that and that, you know, I'm like, oh, and I'd always thought about going into the Air Force as a young man um, before I met my wife, you know, like young, <laughs> young high school age, like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And I'm like, hey, let's just do it. You know, it was a path to to have the Air Force pay for my degree. Um, I'd started yeah. to show a little bit of interest for like mechanical engineering. I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of a neat job to do. Kind of fits my personality and mindset. Um, so we did that, went into the Air Force, uh, enlisted in in June of 2003. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it, man. I, I fit into the Air Force like a duck to water. Um, really? I loved I loved the culture of it. I loved the community of it, the the mission of it. Um, and just had a blast. I met some amazing people that I'm I'm proud to call friends to this day. You know, mm -hmm. it's those types of friendships where we may not talk to each other literally for 10 years, but the second we meet each other again, it's kind of that you come back yeah, to it, you know, you're, you're know just immediately. Feeling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Air let's, Force was very good to us. Yeah, let's talk about this for a while because yesterday sure. I had a podcast with a guy uh, uh, from the, the next two, like we had read a book called The Culture Code and you're okay. speaking about the, the code within armies, within uh, thief groups, within uh, great organization <laughs> that are just working well. And I think right. they were speaking about Navy SEALs and these people, they've been through so much stuff together. Right. Like they could show vulnerability. They could create a safe space together. They had a sense of purpose connected so powerfully. So yeah. maybe share your, your experience with that because uh, did you have any mission like on the field uh, directly or you were 
uh, yeah. in reserve? Yeah, not. Um, so when I first joined the Air Force, I joined as a what's called a command post controller. And we're the guys, if you think about it, we're kind of the brain cell of the base. So each base has a command post. Mm -hmm. um, so think about it. We're the ones with the red phone. So if like anything yeah. ever happened and they need to, the red phone rings and like, hey, go to DEFCON 4, right? All that kind of uh -huh. stuff. Uh -huh. um, so we're kind of like the liaison between each base commander and higher headquarters. And honestly, it's, I mean, you're just there for emergencies. So for most part, you're kind of just sitting around, you know, and there's always <laughs> two people, you know, working, yeah. working the desk 24 seven Christmas, New Year's, like every day of the year. Um, but that provided me an opportunity to, to really go to, you know, finish my schooling and, and get working towards that. But to your question for the culture part of it. Yeah. And that's something that the military is so good at, because even mm -hmm. though we were, you know, I had friends from Louisiana and Texas and New York and like all over. Right. And here I am coming from Washington State. Uh, well, yeah, Washington State at the time, even though we had all these different backgrounds and experiences, we all came through that military funnel of basic training, right? And we had that similar where they do very good at bringing your mindset together. Like, yeah, you, you know, you still get to be kale. You still get mm -hmm. to be, you know, hey, I'm from Washington. This is my background. This is my personality. But you assimilate into this overall culture of how do I contribute to the Air Force mission? Like whatever mm -hmm. that is, you know, based around my skill set, you know, whether you're a pilot or a security forces guy or, you know, in my case, a, a command post guy. Um, so that's something that they're very good at switching that mentality of you become part of this larger mission and you understand mm. where you fit in that. And that just creates that yeah. culture of, you know, hey, we're here to you may be having a bad day, sweet, you know, because everyone has bad days. We're still human, yeah. you know, people still have relationship problems and health problems and all that type of stuff. Um, but, and I, I can't speak to, you know, the Army or any of the other services, although the Marine Corps is very good at this too, right? <laughs> for for getting uh, people bought into that mission and really going down that road of, of culture. And yeah. it's something, once you have that stamp on you, it, you just don't get rid of it, you know, just like- no, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking, how can you apply what you just said in your new business or in your new life? Like if you know how to create a great culture and you were part of one, right. is there any cues that you can see right now for somebody who has a business and, and you're a leadership coach, so you can be mentioned, how do you help them create this sense of culture and unity inside an organization? Right. So when you have a lack of a common experience, such as a basic training type of event, right, or a Navy SEAL training that everyone has to go through, and most businesses can't really set it up like, hey, congratulations, new hire, we're going to send you down to this obstacle course and run you through the ringer and, you know, run for 20 <laughs> miles and, right, you just can't do that. So absent of that, you have to have a common goal. You have to have some target that everybody's working towards. And that's really what we focus on helping small businesses do because a lot of small businesses, they start their business because like, man, I've, I've always wanted to open my own pizza shop, right? We'll just use that as an example because maybe that's, you know, maybe they're from an Italian family and that's just food is part of their culture and their family. And they want to extend that and use it as a form to support their family, you know, financially. But that will only get you so far, like the love of pizza, like, great, but is that going to late, you know, is that going to cause other people to come to, to want to work for you and things? Uh, so it really becomes like, how do you attract people that want to be part of your culture 
that is beyond mm -hmm. just, you know, making pizzas or whatever the technical yeah. thing is that your business is doing, you know, is it, do you have a, a growth mindset of, man, I'm, I'm going to be the number one pizza shop, you know, whether you franchise or whatever, but the number one pizza shop in my community, or I want to raise so much money with my pizza shop because I'm, you know, focused on fundraising for this charity in my community, you know, all these types of things. And that's what really draws people to you and attracts them for being a part of that culture of, you know, because people want to be part of something that's exciting. They want to be part of something that's growing, that has potential that, you know, is not going to just, um, you know, and, and also challenge them a little bit. Mm hmm. So that's, and that's when, kind of my yeah. nutshell is absent no. of that common brutal intake form, like basic training or Navy SEAL training, you really have to have something that you can offer people to really strive towards and work together towards, you know, some big goal and, and make mm -hmm. it exciting. Yeah. And when you work with your clients, are you establishing that from the beginning when you start your program or you, you wait? Well, I, I guess I answer myself, but how do you help them then find this bigger vision? Do you have any specific questions, any specific exercise to, because not everybody can just go inside and say, what do I want? They never did that before. And maybe it's right. a bit awkward and like long. So how do you guide them in this process? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because it is a, a process, right? Because a lot of small businesses that we work with are very similar to us. They come from kind of a, a middle class mentality um, because usually people that come from a you know multimillionaire type families aren't starting you know pest management companies or carpet cleaning companies, right? Uh, so it's first to if they're not already open them up to this world that you and I have already been exposed to, the, to open them up that, yeah, you, you don't have to settle for this, right? You don't have to um, just earn, you know, just for to put a financial on it, you don't have to just earn $80,000 a year and, and think that's your cap, right? The, there's no lack of resources or money or talent in this world. It's just a matter of, do you want to go get it? Do you want to do the things to go after it? But to start when we were working with someone, it's really an evaluation of them and their personality, you know, because some people are very outgoing and they they want to connect with their employees and they want to be involved and they want to encourage. And other people are just like, you're here to do a job. I'm paying you, you know, 10 bucks an hour to, to go fold those boxes or clean those floors, right? Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's getting them out of that and helping them understand employees, staff members, that's not inspiring. You know, there's nothing awesome about a boss just telling you what to do or, or, or giving you orders, they have to have some sort of larger mission or goal. And whether that's in something that the employee themselves have a pathway, like, Hey, you know, you may be starting as a dishwasher in our restaurant, but you know, in a couple of years and doing these things, you can be the store manager because I'm opening up 12 more locations across my yeah. state. And it gives you that opportunity. And then people are like, Oh, wow. That's, you know, something I never thought of. I can do that. And you help them along that path. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really kind of, I guess, to go back to your, your question directly, kind of doing an analysis of them, of, of their mentality to start with, you know, do they have a, a growth mindset for lack of a better term, yeah. or are they kind of just stuck of, you know, I, I just don't want to go broke, right? A scarcity type of mindset, mm -hmm. and then really helping them develop, you know, their business identity, which includes, you know, their core values. What does their business stand for? Because even a a pizza shop has to stand for something, right? It, yeah. You can't just be like, yeah, I'm just here to make pizzas because that that will never will last. Die. And no, you'll never exactly. get fulfillment from it. You'll never be excited to get up and go to work. You'll never try to grow, right? You have to stand for something. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in this case, do you think, do you believe in like true competition? If you're, if you find your real purpose or your big why, then is the competition just you, you do your business, you do you, and then you will shine because you will be very unique or there's a part of that and part also be aware of your competition and see what they're doing so you can maybe do even better or have better prices or what is your opinion on that? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because you can't ignore your competition, no. right? You, you would be a, you'd be a fool if you yeah. in the business capitalistic society to ignore your competition, right? Ford doesn't ignore what GM is doing. That doesn't ignore what Toyota is doing, right? But they still focus on Ford and what Ford is all about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, they still hundred percent. It's because, because you can't build a business on, we're just not, you know, say, say I'm Kalehauser industries. Like I can't build a business on just not being Anthony industries and how mm -hmm. we're just not you, you have to build a business on, no, this is me. This is Kalehauser industries. And this is what I'm building on. I'm still aware of what you're doing as my competition because yeah, maybe you're making innovations in the field that I'm like, Oh, that that's kind of cool. That really worked. Or, or you come up with some awesome marketing plan and you're kind of, you can model that and, and figure that out. Um, but as far as I guess, you don't you never want to focus on your competition in the sense of making that your business identity mm, and that yeah. may be what actually it's it's interesting that you brought that up because i think a lot of businesses start that way they're like mm. man i can do this better you know my my company can do this product deliver this service better than that guy over there and maybe that's what causes you to start it like hey everybody we're new in this community we're so much more awesome because we're not them but eventually, and that may be the pull that gets you in the door, you know, that gets the community to buy into your business. But eventually you have to move away from just not being them into like, hey, people come to you because, you know, you're, you're the best ice cream shop in town now. Not just because you offer more flavors than the, the other guy had across the street. Yeah, makes sense, yeah. man. Thank you so much for that. Sure. Let's go back. Um, so when you got laid off at your work, so in 2020 it was exactly or 2021? Yeah, so we didn't make it that far in the story, but uh, so I separated from the Air Force uh, after mm -hmm. 16 years. I did one year in the Air National Guard in Arizona, but that was right at the beginning of this COVID insanity um, that nobody saw coming, right? So I did, it was kind of interesting. I had a, when I transferred, I incurred a, a commitment in part of the transferring process, which the Air Force it does all the time. Anytime you move, you incur like a year or two commitment to kind of cover the costs of the move. You know, the Air Force mm -hmm. gets back the money they invest in you. <laughs> so I go to this, this guard unit and I'm on orders because guard is very different. It's not active duty. You're kind of on orders, on and off orders um, as you work for them because it can be part-time, but it could also be full-time. But I get all in processed with them. And I go through my initial kind of training that I have to do, even though I was doing the exact same job with this guard unit that I was active duty with the Air Force. Uh, and I'll never forget it. I finish my training, get all signed off. Like, all right, you're good to go to go do your job. You know, the commander crosses the T's and dots the I's. You're all official. And so I have a day off and I'm getting ready to start my my shift coming up this, this next week because I was going to be on orders for like the next month before I went to go do my other job. And uh, my supervisor calls me and says, hey, um, and it was the weekend. He says, on Monday, and this was like in May of 2020, uh, Monday, the Department of Defense is instituting a travel ban, right? In response to this whole COVID insanity, they're going to mm -hmm. stop moving people around. And, you know, if yeah. you're up to move stations, they're going to hold you in place. He says, 
do you want to stay on orders or not or come off? I'm like, man, I'm not because the with the guard, if you're on orders, they've got you right. You can't just be like if they put a travel ban, that's kind of that's considered to them travel, right? Coming off of mm -hmm. orders. And like, I'm not getting stuck here for a year. Like they're going to just <laughs> keep me on orders, right? Like, no, I'm out. Yeah. Forget this. And uh, so I, I worked, worked for them after training for one day, uh, came off orders on that Monday. The DOD wow. did their big travel ban, like put a complete halt on every military member mm -hmm. of the United States military machine. Uh, and so I was, as part of getting out of active duty, I joined a, a government contracting company, again, doing my same job, but just as a contractor where I deploy three months on, three months off, different countries. Um, so I went and, you know, I basically went back to that and, you know, had some time off. The family and I took a little mini vacation. Uh, we were supposed to go see the Grand Canyon, but literally the day before we were going to go see it, the Grand Canyon shut down as part of this <laughs> thing. Like, I didn't know you could shut down a big hole in the earth, you know, it, it was kind of crazy. Funny, but man. Yeah. So fast forwarding a little bit, went on a couple deployments and you could see the writing on the wall with this vaccine stuff was starting to develop in different countries. Cause a lot of the countries I was deploying to, you know, kind of third world countries that, you know, were, were very aware and, and ultra cautious about, you know, pandemics and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. to decimate because they just don't have the medical machine to, to handle that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it came down not by virtue of my company requiring it themselves that I was working for at the time. And same thing that the, the DOD, just like every other government agency started mandating it, you know, the, the vaccine, but it came down as a virtue of every country that we were required to go into that country was requiring vaccination mm -hmm. and stuff. And it was really a, a turning point of, okay, you know, how, I had been a part of the government machine. I had seen kind of the inner workings of, of how the military works and the mindset and all this kind of stuff. And I started just kind of stepping back and looking what was going on. Cause I am not, at, my body is so chock full of vaccines, you know, through my military service that I, yeah. I absolutely believe in vaccines, but there was something about this one that just didn't sit right with me. So my mm -hmm. wife and I, we made the choice like, nope, we're, we're not going to do this uh, at least for now until yeah. this is, this is proven to not, you know, cause people to just drop dead on site and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. Uh, it just wasn't a risk I was willing to take. And because of that, my company essentially said, okay, well, we, we're not going to deploy you. Right. Which they couldn't because, you know, country X, Y, Z, it was required to just get into that country. Once you landed at the yeah. airport, you know, no different than a passport. And I'm like, okay. And that was really the, the stepping back point of, you know, okay, well, what are we going to do? You know, I, cause once I'm not deploying because by nature of my job, I, I don't make any money when I'm not deployed. I make all my money, you know, during that short time period. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're essentially off when you're off. So I haven't done that for, it's been over a year now since I've, I've done that last deployment. Um, and my wife, you know, with, with my military background and all the hard lessons that I'd learned in there, I'm like, man, I, I've, and I'd always wanted to, I just again, didn't have anything to push me towards it. I'm like, I would love someday to start a leadership consulting, coaching, like some something that I can contribute back to the business community from all the very hard lessons that I learned in the military uh, and different arenas uh, surrounding that, that I think I could be really beneficial to people and, and help them guide through some of those landmines that I had experienced um, 
yeah. from, from a leadership and, and relating to teams, you know, hiring, all those types of things. So that's, I don't remember exactly what your original question was, but matter. that's kind of how I, I, I got yeah, to, that's to good, where man. I was There's for, no, for it's my a entrepreneurial flow, yeah. <laughs> conversation. There's no uh, yeah. specific uh, way to go. And so you spoke about having hard lessons in military. Can you share with us yeah. maybe one or two big ones? Because I know people will relate. So, like, people who are now in society are comfortable right. to some extent. Or people who don't have much thing, they maybe have excuses why they cannot do more. Right. And I would like them to hear how did you get this idea from military that, okay, I, I've been through that. I've been through that. And because of that, I can coach people leadership. Right. Because it's yeah. a very interesting. It, it's it's come. It's it makes sense. Yeah, it's logical. But maybe right. give us specific stories, one or two that you really like, and we're sure. gonna go here. Yeah. Yeah. So, the first ten years of my Air Force experience was awesome. Absolutely loved it. I'm like, I am, I am all in. I am going to ride this pony to the to the very end, right? And that's at the time that was the goal, like. The classic, I'm going to work 20 years, get my pension, and then go off and do something else, right? It, there was no reason not to. And was, I don't, and I remember it was at about the 10-year mark of after 10 years of service. And I'm like, this, this isn't quite as awesome as it was, you know? And then just mm -hmm. every year, it was just a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And it wasn't, you know, certainly things were happening in my life. You know, we had children at that point, And, you know, you've got young kids, and that always changes things. But it was just the... And also as I was gaining in rank. So in that time, I had got my commission. I'd become an officer. So it's a little bit different, you know, roles and responsibilities in the military. And as I'm gaining rank in the officer corps, you know, my eyes are just getting open more and more to the larger Air Force culture and what kind of is the behind the scenes working and, and how things get done. And one of the common misconceptions that I always tell people is when you think of military leaders and military commanders, because we assume like, oh, the military makes some fun, like that's what they do. They make phenomenal leaders. They they output all these things, you know, based on those experience. And that is absolutely partially true. There are examples <laughs> of that. We can all think of, you know, amazing military leaders uh, in, in history, right? George Washington and, and Powell and you know, all the MacArthur, all these different classic examples um, of military, like legit military leadership that yeah. people would literally die for as part of their cause. But the reality is those guys are such the exception. And the, mm -hmm. the norm is the military makes phenomenal commanders. They make mm. men and women that can look at a situation, analyze it very um, logically and go, yep, we're going to go do this because of this. And you know what, you know, young soldier, young Navy seaman, young airman, young Marine, you're going to do it because I told you to, you're going to do it because I have the law on my side in the form of, yeah. you know, our universal code of military justice that says, if you don't do what I say, Guess what? I get to send you to jail. I get to dock your pay. I get to, you know, remove rank from your your shoulder. Uh, so the military makes great commanders. But once you take that authority away from them, on average, what I witnessed was they were not leaders, right? Because nobody would willingly follow them uh, yeah. once you took away those those sticks that they could employ to inspire followership, right? <laughs> and that was a, a lot of what was opened up to me. And I, and I remember so specifically going, man, if I'm 
eventually, and this is when I was a younger officer, so you didn't really have authority over people at that point. You were still, you know, learning yeah. your job and all that stuff. I said, man, as I get to that position to where I can become uh, a little like a flight commander is what we call them in, in the Air Force, to where I actually have that legit positional authority, like this is, I'm going to try doing it this way. I'm going to try doing, instead of just telling people, hey, you know, Sergeant so-and-so, you're going to do what I, you're going to go do this because I said so, and I'm the boss. I'm going to go like, hey, this is why we're doing this. This is our mission. This is why it's important. And just kind of change up my tact of how I, I led people. And I found it actually worked. And I'll never forget one of the key turning points was um, our squadron commander at the time. This was maybe a year or so before I decided to get out or were where the Air Force gave me the opportunity to, to separate from active duty and go a different direction. Actually, it was probably two or three years before. Um, our boss at the time, he had made it very clear. He's like, I don't believe in this platform that you guys are flying. I don't like it, but I'm here just because it gives me my chance to be a squadron commander so then he could go on, you know, get that check mark to be a squadron commander really? so he can go on to bigger and better yes. things right it's kind of the path I'm like wow. wow that's kind of a stupid thing to say to your entire squadron uh -huh. that you know like, <laughs> of course but he made it no secret it's not that he every day went around like you suck you know nothing like that but he made yeah. it no secret that like nope this isn't a this isn't a real plane and all this stuff because we flew the unmanned stuff and and he came from the manned aircraft world but I'll never forget, it was Super Bowl Sunday. And same thing, we flew 24-7, all day, every day, shift work. Um, and he's like, hey, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to bring in on Sunday, I'll get some pizzas. We had our little break room that we could go to, but our operational center was separate, right? Because it was in a secure area and stuff. And then our break room was outside at a different part of the building. But again, people aren't just hanging out, right? Especially on a Sunday afternoon, you know, we're all working and... I'll never forget, I'd gone out to like use the restroom or something. I'm walking back by our break room. And as I look over, the commander's sitting there literally by himself, just on his phone. There's all these pizzas and nobody, nobody came out to hang out. Like a couple guys came, wow. like especially the younger guys came out like, oh, free pizza, right? They grabbed their slice yeah. of pizza and then went right back to work. And I remember sitting there going like, That's you know, sad. he essentially invited everyone to this free meal. And who doesn't love a free meal? But nobody was there. Nobody wanted to just be like, hey, you know, Commander so-and-so, Colonel so-and-so, let's hang out because that just wasn't the culture that he had built. And wow. then on the flip side, I'm like, man, how do I, one, how do I not have that happen to me if I do mm -hmm. a similar thing? And I just started implementing and testing these different things. And I'll, one of, honestly, the proudest moments of my military career was my little flight that I had because at that point I was in charge of, I want to say like maybe 20 ish people, um, pilots and sensors, different air crew. And I said, Hey, everybody, we're going to have a barbecue at my house, uh, free food, you know, bring your own beer if you want to bring beer and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, bring the family, we're going to have water balloons and all this kind of stuff. And it's just going to, we're just going to hang out for a couple hours, no agenda, just not be at work. Cause it was kind of, we worked in, in groups. So we all had the day off. And every single person from my flight showed up, except for two that already had previous commitments to go out of town, mm. like they were on vacation, Wonderful. right? And I'm sitting there going, like, what was the That's difference? Cool. What, you know, what caused people to take time on their day off to come with their family to hang out with me and my family and just have a good time together versus mm. our commander couldn't get people that were already at work 
to <laughs> go to the break room to hang out with him and, and have free That's pizza crazy. stuff. And so that was a big turning point when I, you Absolutely. know, and again, talking with my wife and I like, you know, could we do this? Could we replicate this? Could we teach people that are in similar positions to do that? You know, are these, are there actions that are replicatable to have people show up to your barbecue on a Sunday, right? Versus not show up for free pizza. So that's kind of the, that's the big sticking out story of, yeah. of what was kind of the, the final straw or, or a big stick of, of getting that going. Yeah. And to deserve this presence of everybody, which kind of step did you have to take for them to accept over like how many months right. did you work on them? Like in a not manipulative yeah. way, but in an authentic way. Like I want to be with you. I want to be closer to you. Right. So, yeah, it, it yeah. took a little process. It wasn't just, you know, Hey everybody, I'm, you know, captain so-and-so I just took over command of this flight and we're having this barbecue. It wasn't that absolutely. Because I knew that wouldn't work. You know, people, even though I had that positional authority and they had to listen to me, they didn't have to show up to my house, but it went through several, I don't know if trial and errors is the right word, but just several iterations of some mornings. Like if we were working a mid shift, we'd get off at, you know, seven in the morning type of thing. My wife would come out and we'd make pancakes or waffles for everybody. And it would just be after shift. And it was the same thing at first. Yeah, only a couple people, you know, hung around to get the free food, you know, the waffles and things because, right, you just got off of a, a 10, 12 hour shift, you're tired, and you want to just go home and crash. Yeah. But as we kept kind of doing that and doing different things, like maybe we'd have a, you know, as we move through the shifts, right, because we worked day shift and then swing shift and then a, a mid shift, we would just try different things. And it got to the point after, I would say probably a couple months, maybe six months or so, everyone showed up and stayed behind for the, you know, the, the waffles that my wife would come and, and make for us and help us all make. And it just became this kind of cool thing that we did. And what was great about it is the other flight commanders, because there were three of us that ran our own little flights, they started like, oh, like maybe I should institute that. And they started kind of doing that with their own guys, because I think the word kind of got out of, oh, wait a minute, you guys are getting waffles and, you know, hanging out after your <laughs> shift. Like, so, yeah. you know, of course, everyone talks and we all know each other, but yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting, but it was a process. It wasn't just, you know, overnight. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So with your clients who are business owner, do you teach them? how to apply that in their business with their employees or is it something that is maybe i don't know yeah is it better to be used in companies at home uh any any maybe connection between personal life and professional life that you can share here right a lot to, i mean as with anything right it depends because a lot of depends on the size if you already run a company that's 100 employees you can't necessarily do that because it you just can't make those types of interpersonal connections, especially yeah. when you start adding in spouses and kids and stuff. Although I did have one of the commanders I had was, man, he was so sharp. I remember Liz ran into him in the grocery store and he's like, Hey Liz, you know, nice to see you. And they, they had met like one time before in passing. So he was just <laughs> that good at that. So if you yeah. can get to that level to where you remember people's names, especially spouses of people that work for you, man, good on you. You're so far ahead of the game. Do it. But most of us, are not at that level to where we can remember, let alone recognize names and faces, but who they're attached to and all that kind of stuff. But if you're part of a smaller community, a smaller business, our whole kind of pro progression is, yep, you start with 
you need to remember everyone's name, right? That's kind of 101, right? We can use that as a stick of, if you don't know Johnny, who's been working for you for the last two years or six months or two weeks, and you can't That's remember his, his name, yeah, we got to work on that. But mm -hmm. the progression, the ultimate progression that we want to get you to after this 90 days of going through our program is, yeah, you have, you know, your equivalent of your, of your barbecue at your house, you know, whatever that looks like and is appropriate for your business, your environment. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a beach day down at the beach or, you know, something, a picnic um, that everyone shows up that's available to show up, right? That they actually want to be there. They actually want to be a part of your world because you've created this community. You've created these connections in your business um, that people want to come to your barbecue. And that's mm -hmm. what we did, that we were very purposeful about that. Yeah. And it wasn't just about they wanted to come hang out with Kale. Right. I, it was never about like I wanted to gain all these friends because at no. the end of the day, I was still their boss. Right. Yeah. I was still the commander of of my flight. It, it became they wanted to become to this barbecue because I had purposely created this culture within our little, you know, 25 person community. And we had expanded it out to because as those like breakfasts and things that I was mentioning earlier, a couple like girlfriends and boyfriends and spouses like showed up to him. Like, why are you here at seven in the morning? You drove all the way out to our workplace, you know, and it was just to hang out and have wow. breakfast with us. And it was like, That's wow, cool. you know, it was one of those moments where you kind of, you catch yourself and you look back, you're like, is this happening right now? Like, is, yeah. is this actually working? And, <laughs> uh -huh. and I'll never forget. Cause you have those butterflies when we had our barbecue, you have those butterflies like, is anyone going to show up? You know, this is going to be horrible if like only two people show up. But like, wow, everyone's here. And we we had a blast. And even some people stayed until like 10 o'clock at night. We had a little fire pit out and we're just, hmm. you know, hanging out around the campfire, just BSing about whatever topic came up, you know, life and and all this stuff. It was it was pretty cool. That's cool, man, to be able to yeah. attract that to yourself and. It's like you had right. a formula, you, you, a bit of trials and error, but you find a formula to make it happen. Yeah. And it was not so pushy and just overall gradually right. and organically people became more attracted to your energy and to this culture that you that you created. I think it's fantastic. It's very unique. Yeah. Is that why also you prefer to work with small businesses compared to the bigger organization? Because I would say like if you work with smaller groups, you can create that what you love better than if it was it would be 200 people in the company yes yeah because most small businesses if you think about just by nature and the mechanics of how they work they're they're much more relational based yeah. um and i actually had an, an interview with a gentleman that runs an accounting firm that he's now at at 50 employees which is you know it's a good size business but he talked about this a lot of yeah when he was at five employees they all knew each other. They knew, you know, who won their kids' soccer game last night and they knew whose birthdays were coming, all those types of things because it was very relational focused by nature of being a small team. But he said as he was growing to 20 employees and 30 and now 50, he's like, it's just impossible for him as the business owner and business leader to know like, oh, yeah, you know, employee number 42's daughter just had her wisdom teeth removed, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's something that right now, we really enjoy that aspect of it because it is it is very relational focused and it's such an easier connection to make um, versus going into, you know, say you've got 100 employees, which means you now have several layers of, you know, management and supervision, uh, maybe a couple different departments, department heads, and it's a different dynamic. You can't 
necessarily have that. Although that was the model I had in the military because yeah, we had several layers and different departments and different flights. Um, we're finding, and also too, because we're fairly new, we're, we're still in a little bit of development, you know, cause not everything directly translates from the military to, you know, a, an average everyday small business. So we're in a little bit of, you know, tweaking development. Does this same thing work over here as it does here? Um, so we didn't want to jump into right the the hundred million dollar you know two hundred employee type level yet until we really get our our processes down and and proven is kind of yeah. the the honest opinion of or, yes, or okay. answer yeah. to that yeah of course <laughs> um, I'm curious now so when you got laid off and you had to you thought okay I want to make I want to do a leadership now right but you didn't have any clients any leads. How do you get started from nothing? I think that's a very interesting fact for any people who want to become entrepreneur, because that would be maybe most of my audience will have this desire to move from employee to entrepreneur. And they're right. maybe afraid of how I'm going to find people that will like what I'm doing, how I'm going to get known, because I know you already have a podcast, which with over hundred episodes, so that's a good thing to right, yeah. make yourself known. Yeah. But what else? Yeah, that's a, and that's, if I had the magic key for that, we'd all, you know, I'd be a multi-billionaire, right? If, if I had that, <laughs> but the reality is it's, it's difficult, you know, don't yeah. enter this journey lightly. Don't think, you know, and there aren't, it's not that there aren't exceptions to that rule. There are people that, you know, they hit that magic ticket and, and they make the right connections and their businesses explodes. That has not been the case for us. Um, it was a difficult decision it, and it was drawn out of, you know, I was, my previous deployment gig had drawn down and fortunately we had some, an investment that had worked out that we cashed out and like, okay, we're going to live on this money. It gives us, you know, basically a year of, of income of savings that we can live on without me having to go get a job and, and try mm -hmm. to do this. So we were very blessed in that sense. Cause a lot of people yeah. don't have that, you know, they're trying no. to do this side hustle and get this business built while doing their nine to five job. Um, so on that sense, we're very blessed, but going into it with the understanding of, first of all, just like Grant Cardone has, you know, told us, and you don't think about it and believe it at first, but once you get in it, everything you do is going to be 10 times harder <laughs> is, you know, whether it be starting a podcast, I'm like, oh yeah, I can start a podcast. Right. And you've probably had this same thing of it's so easy. I just get in and I, I talk about a couple of things, Man, you know, and the anxiety you post, at the beginning, right? the yeah. first episode, like I was like, <laughs> right. and it's i was it's not even live i'm recording on my computer like right. there's nobody yeah. seeing it is i can edit yeah. it like we yeah we could chop anything out we want and it was the same thing i'm like brain. man I, I sound so stupid and nobody's gonna want to listen to this you have all those doubts uh but it ultimately comes back to you know what is your why are you gonna actually commit to doing it and that's what it was especially with the podcast early on i'm like you know what i know i'm gonna suck it and i Honestly, I kind of want to remove the first like 20 episodes of my podcast and not post them on YouTube and stuff because I know I suck. I remember watching the video for my first episode and I was using a different microphone and I kept rubbing my hands, but it was oh. the microphone was picking it up. So you just kept no. hearing this <laughs> right? oh. like, oh, my gosh, like it's so horrible. Cringy. But anyway, you, you go through these these kind of just, you know, growing pains and all those types of things. So my first advice is you have to commit, really. That's what it comes down to. You can't do this half-hearted. You have to commit. You have to believe that based on your market research, based on you know the product or service that you're developing and you're putting out to the, the marketplace, that it is viable, right? You don't want to 
you know, open a butcher shop in a vegan village, you know, you have to have that, those basics in place of, yeah, yeah you know, I, there is a need for this product or service, but then it's, it's committing. But to go back to how do you get known? Um, because same thing, you know, there's, I think there's like, what, like 2 million podcasts out there right now. It's not like you're going to start a podcast and all of a sudden you're, you know, competing with Joe, to you Joe Rogan like, out there, oh. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you just have to be purposeful about it. You know, be diligent. You cannot ignore social media. I was honestly, before I started this, I didn't even have an Instagram account. Um, it was just kind of like I had a Facebook account because I you know, would keep up with friends and family and, yeah. and do an older person's interpretation of Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't have TikTok, nothing like that. But then just starting getting in that, like, man, I need to learn this stuff because it is vitally important. That's yeah. that's how our community in today's day and age across every just about every country that allows it. That's how we communicate and, and form those connections. So really just getting your your social media game, um, you know, just to the next level. Uh, but outside of that, it's it's promo, 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 you know, getting your name out there, how to get out of obscurity. Um, I will be, you know, we hired a marketing agency at one point. They're fantastic. They helped us with, you know, kind of our branding and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And that was certainly an investment. Um, but then after, you know, working with them for a couple months, like they were, they weren't getting any results. And I'm like, this, yeah. this isn't working. Like how, again, going back to, we have savings, you know, we're no, no job income coming in for us to sustain once we get back to this. I'm like, I can't spend another eight months while you figure out you know, how to market this type of thing. So, you know, we just recently separated from them and now we're kind of stepping back and coming up with a new game plan of attack of how, how do we get our name out there? Um, so we're looking at, you know, local events, you know, my wife is a networking machine for locally. She goes to like probably cool. three or four a week uh, in mm -hmm. our surrounding county and, and community to, and that's starting to, you know, same thing though, when she started, you know, crickets, like there was nothing, you know, nobody was that interested and she just hadn't made connections, but in face networking events, again, are very relational based and people have to kind of trust you. And, and she's just now after, you know, probably three or four months of doing this consistently starting to get referrals and people like, wow, mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool. What you do for your business. Like I actually, you know, this person's like an HR person. They help businesses with their human resources and paperwork, they're like, but they're struggling really with this. I have to connect you with this business owner because they're uh -huh. having issues with their team and hiring and all those types of things. So those it's, it's a gradual snowball that starts to, to really kick off. And we've got some things coming up that we're really investing in and, and both time, energy and resources to get a, a ball rolling of really getting our name out there and, and snowballing. So Beautiful, short answer, man. it takes time. Um, yeah. Don't be shy about telling people about your business, right? Get your core values down, get mm -hmm. your business identity down, like what you stand for, why you're doing what you do, who you serve. That's your number one, right? Because if you serve everybody, you really serve nobody is what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, I was thinking, so you were speaking about this um, agency right now, just a couple of seconds mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. What is your opinion about people getting paid on results versus on time? Right. So performance based versus just kind of a retainer. Yeah. Right? Hourly, uh, hourly wage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's funny that you asked that question because when we first contacted this agency and this was back in February, um, 
she wanted just pure time. Like, Hey, you're going to pay us so much money per month. And then plus whatever we spent in advertising, right. Whether it be mm -hmm. Facebook ads or anything. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you are essentially not incentivized at all to do a good job for us. Like you're going to make yeah. your, let's just call it five grand a month, you know, different agencies <laughs> cost, you can spend 50 grand a month, you know, with yeah, different agencies sure. or two, whatever, let's just call it five. Like you're still going to make your five grand a month, no matter what. And I have and, no and say I, on that, you know, yeah, and I could be, yeah, yeah. and I'm spending, you know, let's just say $2,000 a month in advertising. So I'm spending seven grand a month. And whether I get one lead out of that or 3000 leads out of that, like as a, especially as a smaller business, you know, we're a small mm -hmm. business. It's my wife and I at this point, like that's, that's insane. Like there's no way, unless you're going to say, all right, well in three months, if we don't give you, you know, say a thousand leads, we'll give you all your money back. That's certainly an option, right? I would, I would yeah, jump in that. Yeah. But I came back and told her, I'm like, no, like, I trust you, but I don't trust you that much, that much. right? We, we have no history together. We have, you don't have the results that you can put in front of me and say, yeah, for clients that are just like you, this is what I've done. Mm -hmm. And these are the results they had. This is why I'm charging this and this. But then, you know, to her credit, and really this is faith in her business and her ability uh, she came back and said, okay, well, we'll, we'll do performance based, no monthly fee. And it's just, you know, it's like 10% or whatever that percentage is of new clients I bring to you. And I think that's really the model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it kind of sucks because, but I even told her, I'm like, I would happily pay you a hundred thousand dollars a month <laughs> as part of your cut. Right. Cause you're now bringing me a million dollars a yeah. month worth of business. Yeah. And I think, especially as a younger businesses, stay away from the, you know, the retainer monthly fee type and focus on performance, uh, performance based because same thing, had we have not done that initially. So February to let's just call it the, you know, beginning of July into June. So that's what for almost five months we'd have at five grand a month, we'd have dropped like 30 grand on this mm -hmm. agency and got nothing right? Nothing wow. from it. And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's insane. So that's one of the like, Oh, good job, Kale, you know, pack yeah. stuff on the back. <laughs> um, so yeah. And that's my, my number one. I, I'm not a believer in the, especially for something that's so subjective, such as mm -hmm. advertising and, and getting leads like that. Like I personally, I would stay away from that until you can find somebody that's proven, you know, you know what is I like also, I think, if you're a new business and you're very hungry, you can actually advertise yourself on the performance base and be more attractive. Yeah. For example, I I did this with uh, somebody in 10x. Say, I'm going to help you sell your program. I really believe in your pro in your product. I'm going to help right. you. Don't pay me for my time. Pay me for just the sales I bring to the company. I don't want any. Uh, yeah. Just oh, I made a list today of 30 people. I don't care about that. Let right. me prove that I can help you, and then later down the road. But now just give me a percentage and I will yeah. give my my everything. And if you know you're going to be paid on performance, then this whole 10x principle is much more easier to apply because you know that the more you will do in this smarter way, more efficient way, will right. bring the results eventually, maybe not overnight, of course, but eventually. Right. And you can you will be able to endure the and have the sweat equity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To make everything happen. So I'm very I'm pumped by this idea of just guys and girls just go and offer to prove yourself first right. to this big mentor, this big company that you, you, you would love to, to work for 
don't just come and say, well, my fee is uh, 30 bucks an hour and I'm going to maybe deliver this in two months. Right. Right. I don't think that's really because there's two aspects about that. One is the first one. That's the middle class mentality. You know, the the people that, you know, I work for $50,000 a year and no matter what I do, I'm going to make $50,000 a year this year. Right. Whether I'm the garbage employee or or a good one, you know, and it may be through the years you'll get promotions and now I'm at 55 or 60, whatever that is. So it's very limiting because it's a self-imposed ceiling that people eventually, you know, you, you hit them over the stick enough times, they start realizing that, okay, I can't go further than this because <laughs> uh, there's no incentive to produce more, to learn more, anything. And it's, it's why salesmen in general are paid on commission, right? That's what it is. And the best salesmen are paid on a hundred percent commission. They have no base salary or anything because yeah. they know. And the other side of that sword is, from the employee standpoint and from somebody working under those conditions, they're like, so it's totally up to me if I earn $10,000 this month or $100,000 this month. Like I can literally just go crazy and and all out and I can clear like a million dollars this year that you're telling me business owner, you'll pay me that. I'm like, well, yeah, if you're bringing me a million dollars a month, I will gladly pay you a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I think it's such a fascinating because you're right. The the incentive of it on either of those models is drastically different, especially long term. Yeah. And do you think it, it requires a certain personality type to be able to do that? Or you, you think anybody can learn to become good at sales and go out there and cold call, warm call, uh, yeah, power base, everything uh, in, in this spectrum? Uh, I don't really believe like if you're introvert or extrovert, it makes a big difference. I think you right. can, because I would say personally, yes, I have a, I have a work in public. I'm a teacher and a coach. I can right. perform, I can be there, but being in public, I can get drained after a couple hours in social settings. So I would, mm -hmm. it, this would be like introvert side, right? But I don't want this as an excuse to say, okay, but I'm not going to be a great salesman for my own business and for other people's products that I believe in. It just because, oh, I'm an introvert. I prefer to read right. books on the Saturday night. Right, yeah. right. To answer your question, yes and yes. Uh, anyone can learn because sales is a process. Sales is a step one, step two, step three, step four, right? Um, anyone can learn that. Introverted, extroverted. And actually, I would argue it's harder for extroverted people because they are so much more uh, inspired by like, Hey, let's just chat and talk and, you know, talk about the birds and like, Oh, I went on this trip. Right. It's, it's harder for them versus because sales is a process, no matter what your product or service is. It's like, does that, does that client or potential prospect have a need? Does your product or service meet that need? How does it meet it? What are their objections to it? And how do you overcome and, and meet those objections that they're not objections? Then ultimately, you know, with price, like, do you provide enough value that it's worth them giving you their resources in the form of money to do so, right? It's it's a process that anyone can learn. Uh, but on the flip side, in our culture, in the in the North American, you know, cap capitalistic culture, we have this stigma about sales, right? And about getting yourself out there and, and being that person, that those are the things that stop people. And when you don't have a why... Like, yeah, I, I would never have gone after that as a, as a young man, as my first job, but I did, uh, later in life, um, I was a car salesman and it terrified me. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be a car salesman. Right. But then I started looking <laughs> at it and like, they taught me some extremely valuable lessons as far as 
just talking to people because I was definitely not an, not an introvert by nature, but I'm an observer by nature, which yeah. kind of makes me an introvert because I just like going to the airport is one of my favorite things to do just to see people and, you know, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But um, they taught me some extremely valuable lessons just about, you know, getting yourself out there and, and kind of closing off those doubts and and not being so invested in things that when people say, no, I don't want to buy that car. It's not like, Kale, you suck. You know, I'm not going to buy a car from you. It's like, no, they, they're just not buying that car, right? You mm -hmm. take yourself out of that equation a little bit. And I think that's really what you're alluding to um, by your comments of people put themselves in it so much that they think a rejection is a rejection of, of like me and, and invalidating yeah. my existence, right? And that's not the case at all. Yeah, whatsoever. Mm. If somebody doesn't yeah. want our coaching program, it's because one, I failed to show them the value of it, mm -hmm. but it's not a rejection of Kale Hauser. It's a rejection of, of them not seeing the value of how I can help them. Yeah, makes sense, man. Yeah. Kale, we're coming to the end. Um, my last yeah. question for you is, if we go in the future, 2027, yeah. five years from now, and people will go back in time to the original episodes of your brother's podcast on YouTube, right. what you would love them to remember about this show and about yourself, about your message on planet earth, something inspiring, impactful, and it's right. just going to represent who you are and people can leave this call and man, whoa, he shook my world. That's, yeah. that was good. Yeah. Anything that's awesome. Coming up? Yes. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to put a reminder in my calendar five years from now to to watch this episode again myself, because I think it's going to be a fantastic time capsule yeah, to see. Of course. Uh, but as a, a major takeaway, I hope people have kind of gotten this sense of sticking to your convictions, right? Like you, you are who you are because you are who you are. You're special. There's something about you that makes you unique. It makes you talented. It makes you just special in your environment, whatever that is, whether it be business and your family and your community. And there comes a point where those things that make you, you, your character, your personality, what you believe in, uh, will be challenged. Um, and you need to decide, are you going to stick to those convictions that you've developed that you've decided like, this is what makes kale kale. This is what makes Anthony, Anthony. These are the things I stand for. These are, these are my whys in my life of why I do the things I do. Um, and as you come across those obstacles and people that legitimately, you know, hate you, you know, the haters out there and they're trying to stop you, um, which is, you know, very prevalent in our culture right now. Are you going to fold to that or are you going to stand and go, no, this, this is who I am. This is my cause and this is why I do the things I do. So having those things ahead of time as part of, especially if you're, you know, a young entrepreneur, you're developing your business, um, having those things set in stone, you know, in the form of your core values and your mission statement, your vision statement, how you treat and interact with your community, that is what is going to save you from being like, oh, no, like, I'm too scared. I'm just going to fold and quit and go move away and tuck my tail, right? And I think really, I'm hoping that people have understood standing for your convictions, you know, and being able to to pivot when needed. But ultimately, like, this is the this is the the drawing line, right? The, the line in the sand that I will not cross for, for anything. So yeah, that's my, my takeaway. Thank you so much <laughs> for this beautiful answer. Beautiful. Uh, how can we connect with you online? How do we say thank you for this episode? How do we connect with your coaching, with your podcast? I know you have many things that you're offering now. So 
Yeah. It's, it's time for your marketing now. Promote yourself. Sure. Yeah. Fantastic. So Kale Hauser on pretty much all the social media, um, you know, Twitter and TikTok and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Send me a, a connect on LinkedIn. That would be fantastic. Uh, I host a podcast, the Kale Hauser Leadership Secrets podcast. It's on all the platforms. I'm just now getting my YouTube caught up. So there are some of my episodes on there, but I'm, I'm getting, like you said, we just passed uh, this couple like a week ago uh the 100th episode so i do one mm -hmm. every day well monday done. through friday uh, make sure you subscribe to that provide feedback what you want to hear uh and you'll see anthony's episode on there as well make sure you check yeah. that one out that's it was mm -hmm. pretty cool I, I really enjoyed doing that one <laughs> uh and then kalehauser.com uh make sure you check me out that has a list of all the stuff we've got going on whether it's our workshops or or if you want to reach out and get joined into our community um subscribe on there get on our list and then i have absolutely if you if there's something i can help you immediately in your business book a call i've got my calendar on there we can hop on a call and i can absolutely help you out with that so kalehauser.com yeah sounds fantastic cool. so for me guys it's anthony rivet for your brother's podcast you can follow me on linkedin instagram uh facebook and your brother's podcast will be also we have an instagram and youtube page and facebook so either me personally or the podcast itself both are a good version you can subscribe to both uh thank you so much for your time and if you feel inspired to help me in this mission uh, i'm very open to suggestion of new guests and also if you want to support me financially there will be a patreon link in the description so feel free to be generous and contribute to this beautiful mission because i love this project so much i have amazing guests and i wanted to continue and 10x this these results so i will talk to you soon and thank you so much see you guys mm -hmm.